First impressions are everything in life, and in mixed martial arts, they can mean the difference between massive hype or a complete lack of interest. If Abao gave the impression that there was no way a second fight could produce anything but the exact same outcome in the exact same manner, or a second fight just didn't feel warranted at the time, fans won't exactly be clamoring for the promotion to book a rematch. Now, that doesn't always mean that they're right. Sometimes we're pleasantly surprised by a sequel that plays out in ways we didn't see coming, but the common theme for all the entries on today's list is that going into the second fight in a series, fans were entirely apathetic to getting another go at that particular matchup. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are 10 rematches where the hype was killed before it could even start. Number 10, Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Batori, UFC 263. Izzy had a real banger of a UFC debut at 221, if you recall. Everybody was making obvious comparisons to Anderson and JBJ in terms of his style and movement. He would TKO Rob Wilkinson to earn the performance of the night and gave a nifty little post-fight interview where he famously pissed metaphorically all over the cage. It was pretty hype for some FS1 prelims, and there was definitely interest in the new guy. Then Adesanya fought Marvin Vittori on a big Fox card, and it was a bit of a buzz killer. The fight wasn't particularly exciting, Izzy was unable to get the finish, afterwards he would say he felt off, and while he would win the first two lackluster rounds, he would lose the third with the Italian finally being able to secure some takedowns and control time. The fight would end up a split decision, but the vast majority felt that it wasn't warranted. Overall, very forgettable. Nothing I would ever want to see again. But we did, far after Adesanya had cemented his legacy as middleweight champion. The rematch would take place following his failed double champ attempt. And yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, Marvin was the next guy in line, and the insane press conferences and shit talk was enjoyable. Norby, here I, I am! You. I never, I fucking never nightmare, have bitch. Look at me! Fucking nightmare! Try me now, bitch! What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? But I think at the end of the day, everyone thought the fight would again be fairly lackluster, and yeah, it was. Adesanya won every round, Vittori would shoot on 14 takedowns and only land four. Nothing too notable happened, just like the first fight. Some trash talk can only take a matchup so far. Number nine, George St. Pierre versus Josh Koscheck, UFC 124. This is an interesting one because it sold well, but not on the merits of the fight. I don't think many fans gave Koscheck much of a chance in the rematch. If anything, this entry shows the true power of the UFC marketing machine. By GSP's fifth welterweight title defense, his status as GOAT was drawing nearer and his box office was growing as well. With compelling opponents like BJ Penn and Dan Hardy to play foils to the champ, the money was indeed piling up. For his next defense, though, he would have to rematch Josh Koscheck. And while the tough alum was a perfect villain, when the two met only three years earlier at UFC 74, it was a blowout. In a surprise nobody saw coming, St. Pierre beat Koscheck at his own game, scoring two of two takedowns, stuffing all but one of the D1 champion's own attempts while only allowing him to land a total of four significant strikes as he rode a near 10 minutes of control time to a UD win. He'd beaten the man at his own game, and if GSP's wrestling was now on that level, what exactly did Josh have to offer in a rematch? The solution was a season of tough, which helped at least keep interest in the matchup on a personal level, but that was really it. There were still surprises at 124, though. George didn't out-wrestle him again. Instead, he chose to jab his opponent's eye until it became a grotesque and human mound of swollen flesh. Good stuff. Number 8. Leon Edwards vs. Kamaru Usman, UFC 278 Alright, so this one's coming up this weekend, and yes, it was the inspiration for this list because it's such a perfect example. The hype going into the Usman Edwards rematch is just about zero. There's a lot of factors as to why. Leon has clearly had trouble making a connection with the fans for whatever reason. The heat between the two just isn't that compelling, but the biggest contributing factor is their first fight. The two met when they were both on the come up in a bout that most of you probably didn't watch until the UFC recently reposted it on YouTube, and that's because it was a snoozer on the Fight Pass prelims. It was Kamaru's sophomore effort in the promotion coming off his 
tough win. Rocky was only on his fourth UFC bout. Marty was still very wrestle-heavy at the time and used six of 13 successful takedowns and over 10 minutes of control time with only 48 significant strikes among 126 landed to earn the UD win. So going into their title fight rematch, despite the incredible run that Usman has had up to this point as champion, despite the nine straight victories for Leon, all anybody's thinking right now is, well, Edwards has a boring style and got handled easily by Kamaru before he leveled up his striking, so this one's going to be must-miss TV. Now, maybe it turns out to be a banger. I certainly hope so. But that's besides the point for this list. The hype just isn't there, and it's in large part because of that first fight. Number seven, Matt Hughes versus Frank Trigg, UFC 52. All right, so in hindsight, this one turned out to be a fantastic rematch. It's one of the all-time Matt Hughes moments. Dana has said that it was his favorite fight of all time. So yeah, 100% glad the rematch happened. Great call, everybody all around. But before we knew it would turn into a classic and one of the great comebacks the sport's ever seen, there's not a ton of justification for this one besides who the hell else is Mac gonna fight now? In their first matchup, Trigg was coming into the UFC having defeated Dennis Hallman for the WFA welterweight title. After some back and forth wrestling, Hughes would find Frank's back standing up and get an easy RNC victory. It wasn't a particularly compelling fight, and what happened between the first and second bout didn't exactly add any intrigue to a rematch. If you recall, Matt shockingly lost his title to BJ Penn, who fucked off to K1 with the belt. Hughes beat up on BJ's teammate and then defeated GSP for the vacant welterweight strap. Frank in the meantime also beat up Penn's teammate and defeated Dennis Hallman for a second time, and that was it. That was the setup. It just didn't seem like the UFC knew what to do on Matt's second title run. First it was Trigg, then Joe Riggs after that, and he didn't even make weight. Then they did the special non-title with Hoist, before having him fight BJ again, who had just lost to GSP. Obviously, this one turned out great, but nobody was that jacked to see it again beforehand. Number 6. Amanda Nunes versus Jermaine Durandamy, UFC 245. The perception of Nunes going into her UFC 200 title challenge against Misha Tate was that she just wasn't top tier. Nobody really expected her to win, and certainly not the way she did. The reason I bring that fight up is because those three years prior in the promotion are considered the time before Amanda leveled up her game and became one of the best talents in the sport. It was during that period that Nunes easily defeated Jermaine Durandamy at Fight for the Troops 3. The Iron Lady would land all of one strike before getting taken down easily and mounted, elbowed to a TKO finish in under four minutes. Cut to 2019. Amanda's defeated Ronda Rousey, Valentina Shevchenko, Chris Cyborg, Holly Holm. She's the double champ. She's the best in the sport. GDR in that same span was only notable for that controversial win over Holm for the first featherweight title, the one she then vacated for refusing to fight Cyborg. So as you can imagine, the two rematching at bantamweight no less, so there wasn't even going to be a potential size advantage for Durandamy, didn't exactly knock people's socks off. Interestingly enough, GDR would pose a threat on the feet with her incredible kickboxing at 245, however the recently strike-heavy Nunes would very smartly land 8 of 11 takedowns and control the bout for over 18 minutes on the ground to win on all three cards, the lack of hype fulfilled. Number 5. Demetrius Johnson versus Henry Cejudo, UFC 227. So by 2016, it wasn't easy to sell fans on DJ's fights. The guy had already had seven flyweight title defenses and very little trouble in any of them. So the fact that his first meeting with Cejudo had any buzz around it is saying something. People were interested in the ever-growing talents of the Olympic gold medalist. Maybe he could be a real challenge for the champion. He wasn't. Not on that night, at least. Sure, he did secure a takedown, but did nothing with it, and Johnson got up nearly right away before kneeing the ever-living shit out of him to earn a TKO victory. Another walk in the park for the Mighty One. When the two met again in 2018, DJ had racked up three more title defenses, while Henry was coming off of a win over Sergio Pettis. The champ would be an even bigger favorite going into their second fight, and nobody really expected much besides the usual domination from Johnson. That didn't turn out to be the case, as Henry 
would win a weirdly anticlimactic split decision to dethrone one of the greatest champions in the history of the sport. But nobody saw that coming, and apathy was the word going into the rematch by fans. The card would sell a meager 300,000 buys, even though it was a double title fight pay-per-view, probably because the main event was number four, TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt, UFC 227. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing, that's day one shit. You can't have ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're gonna die. Cody versus TJ was white hot in 2017. Snake Boy versus his former team. They had a season of the Ultimate Fighter in the lead up to their first fight at UFC 217, which was the culmination of this entire massive saga that had been building and getting uglier and more intense with time. Everything came to a head and a crescendo, with Dillashaw surviving that late round one scare and then putting Garbrandt's lights out in the second before attempting to swallow his entire face. It was exactly the blow off everybody needed and it felt like a resolution. We were finally beyond this alpha male drama, but we weren't because the UFC decided we needed to see it again immediately that next summer. Funnily enough, the fight that would have made 227 something people actually wanted to see was TJ and DJ going at it, which was still being considered in the time prior to 227. It's the reason Dillashaw turned down the rematch with Cody to save 222. That's right, they wanted to do this one even earlier. Considering 227 only sold 40,000 more buys than Cyborg versus Kunitskaya, what they ended up going with for that event, I'd say it didn't sound like anybody wanted to see anything they were trying to put together for that card on short notice. TJ would beat Cody even faster the second time around, an unneeded footnote to their rivalry that nobody was excited about. Number 3. Max Holloway vs. Jose Aldo, UFC 218 Speaking of rematches that happened way too soon, let's talk about Holloway Aldo too. Max defeated the featherweight king at UFC 212 with an overwhelming third round performance after a slow start in the first two periods. A knockdown and a barrage on the ground that totaled in 41 significant strikes would force the bout to a halt, earning Holloway unified gold. It was a fantastic win. He did it in Rio to the King of Rio. It felt like it was on to the next one, which was meant to be Frankie Edgar at 218 six months later. The answer had just demolished Jair Rodriguez to halt his rise up the ranks. This was going to be a fun fight. But a month before the card, Frankie was forced out, and instead of rescheduling, they just rebooked Aldo, who was at the time preparing for Ricardo Lamas on a fight night card. Okay, I guess. It just happened way too soon. It's not even that it couldn't have been competitive, it just felt like we'd answered that question a bit too recently. He'd not even had a bout between, so it didn't feel as if the outcome would be any different. The second time around, Holloway just dominated from start to third round finish, putting this rivalry to bed likely forever and way too soon, as a rematch down the line might have been interesting. Number 2. Fedor Emelianenko vs. Tsuyoshi Kosaka, Pride Bushido 6 Alright, so Fedor, you're coming off of some of the hypest shit of your career. You just defeated Big Nog for the second time in a rematch for the Pride Heavyweight title and the 2004 GP. Everybody wants to see you fight Mirko Krokop next in a battle of the century to determine the best fighter in the entire world. So let's book you with the guy that accidentally elbowed you that one time five years ago. To be fair, Kosaka was the Pancrase Super Heavyweight Champion, so this was technically a super fight, if that belt meant anything and was ever held by anyone other than Kosaka. Not to mention none of these titles were on the line anyway, this is Pride we're talking about. Nope, this was just the best perceived fighter in the world at the height of his powers against a guy who was 26-15-2 with five losses in his last nine. As I'm sure you're aware by now, Suyoshi was technically the only man to beat Fedor from the period of 2000 to 2010, a victory he earned by missing the first punch he threw and grazing the last emperor's eye with his elbow, forcing the Conor McGregor special Dr. Stoppage. So yeah, this was basically a squash match to get the win back. Nobody's ever hyped about a squash match. Fedor would earn his own 
own doctor stoppage after the first round. Can you believe they were trying to make this fight a third time in Ryzen? God, MMA, what is wrong with you? Number one, Vanderlei Silva versus Kazushi Sakuraba Pride Total Elimination 2003. Remember that one WrestleMania where Shawn Michaels said I love you to Ric Flair and super kicked him in the face and it was supposed to be the end of his career? Imagine if the WWE did that same match again a few months later. Wouldn't that just be stupid and take away everything that was so special about that moment? Anyway, let's talk about the trilogy between Vandy and Sakuraba. Their first fight at Pride 13 was a massive deal, as Kazushi was the biggest star in Japan by a huge margin. This was like peak Gracie Killer era, and since Pride didn't yet have a championship, Sakuraba put it upon himself to start carrying around the Saku belt. So when Silva destroyed him in under two minutes, he then awarded him said belt. It was such a great moment, and it felt like a very cool passing of the torch. Given how the minute and 39 seconds went, nobody needed to see a rematch. But after Kazushi subbed Rampage Jackson at Pride 15, he and Vandy were paired up again, this time for actual gold, the Pride middleweight title, and for the second time, it was clear the two had no business in the ring together, with Silva earning a doctor stoppage after the first round ended. That should have absolutely been it. But no, the two were paired for the opening round of the 2003 middleweight GP, which to be fair was better than what Sakuraba wanted, which was to fight Bob Sapp and Fedor. My god, somebody stop booking this man in death matches. Silva won a third time, and luckily the pair would never meet again. When instead of hype you have anxiety for the safety of one of the fighters, yeah, there was no way this couldn't be number one. Gotta love Pride FC, am I right? Oh, did you think we were still in the last entry? Well, we're actually in the outro. That's called a transition in the biz. It's not magic. That's what the editors do. So if you enjoyed this video, it's because Luke is a real-life wizard. Follow him on Twitter, or he will curse your bloodline for 20 generations with his wizard powers. Ben Rosette makes music that causes angels to weep with joy. Go show him some love, too. And show yourself some love. It's been a tough day. Anyway, number four. Ah, uh, you thought, but that was a fake transition. We're still in the outro. Like and subscribe, kids. It's always helpful. Have a good one.